Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from, and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metal Works, your metal roofing headquarters. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. I'm your host, Joe Baia, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. And today, Butch, we are going to be talking about planning and planting an orchard on your property. You know, an orchard can be a beautiful thing. I like orchards. Yeah. I mean, how cool is it to just walk down and pick a piece of fruit, pick up some nuts off the ground, grab a couple berries, different times of the year. I love it. Kids love it. Wife loves it. Animals love it. Animals love it for sure. And one of the beautiful things about owning your own piece of property, if you're lucky enough to you know, be able to do that is you can manipulate the habitat. I mean, how many times, you know, growing up, we are always hunting lease property and we, we wanted to do something, but we couldn't. And now, you know, we both got our own piece of property. I look at all these as opportunities to just make my place better, make it more enjoyable throughout the year. You guys have, have done some planting on your property, fruit. A lot of trees, planted a lot of trees, <laughs> planted a lot of trees, Captain. Yes, How's sir. it going? How's it going? How, how, uh, how have you enjoyed it or how have you not enjoyed it? Yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot. Um, we kind of started out with, I would say we started out with sawtooths, mostly around our food plots. And uh, we got into some crab apples and pears and apples. And we've learned a lot. Uh, we've killed a lot of trees, unfortunately. <laughs> but you just going to have that on them big right. jobs. Right. You just are. You're going to have some. Um, yeah, but, but you, I, we, you've got a lot of trees that have grown and produced fruit We have a nuts. lot of trees. And so, I mean, yeah. you lose a few here and there, but yeah, you got part some of it. too. Yep, for sure, man. And a lot of it depends on, you know, how much it rained a couple of months after you, after you put them and some of them are going to get J rooted and some of them are going to get rubbed by deer, even if you have a tree protector, you know, there's some casualties from tractors that happen occasionally too. Didn't see that thing behind me with the bush hog and that's right. Dang it. But yeah, I've learned a lot for sure. We've planted a lot of trees and uh, most of them are doing pretty well. Well, hopefully today we are going to answer every question somebody might have if they are thinking about, you know, planning or just planting on their property, probably learn some, some new things ourselves and, uh, may see around some corners so that folks won't make to some of the same mistakes. It sounds like you guys have had to uh, learn the hard way on to do that. We're talking with Ian Wallace of Chestnut Hill Outdoors. Ian, welcome back to the show, man. You know, we start talking about planting trees and planting an orchard on your property. I mean, these are these are some of those off-season activities. Deer season's over. 
a lot of turkey seasons are wrapping up. Uh, folks are looking to make those improvements to their properties. And, and also too, I love, I love the idea of, of some of the other things we get to do on our properties because you can get the rest of your family involved. If you've got folks that maybe aren't big hunters, they might really be into the other side of things, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And that's, that's planting an orchard. There's a lot to think about here though. When it, when it comes to that, the first thing that comes to my mind and I'm going through this right now is where, where do I do this on my property? So what do you, when you're thinking about a, a site selection for an orchard on a property, what are some of the good characteristics you want to look for? Yeah, I think that, you know, some, some of us have more property to experiment with than others. Um, at the end of the day, I think no matter where you plan on your property, you're going to see benefit for the ecosystem and wildlife as a whole. And if you only have down at the corner of your property open to, to plant, then do that. We have a hard time keeping wildlife out of our orchards. We're fortunate that we don't we don't care too much about protecting harvest, but you know, from an orcharding standpoint, a lot of orchardists have huge issues with wildlife eating a big portion of their crops. It's actually the origin of how we ended up realizing how important you know mast can be for you know f- food plots. Um, was a conversation years ago. You know, my my dad was at an orcharding convention. And uh, he was talking to people about how do they keep their deer off their property? And there's people who have huge fences, electric fences, Ooh. some would thin the herd. I mean, combating it constantly. And they would actually weigh their harvest each day. And it it, it came up with some number like almost half of uh, the, the chestnut, this is a chestnut orchard in convention. Uh, almost half of the chestnuts were being eaten at night by wildlife. And so somebody said, you know what, you're, you're selling to the wrong people. You don't want people who don't want deer on your property. You want people who want deer on their property, (laughs) um, which is pretty funny. Um, but you know, there's that, you know, having a, I think a food source on your property is something that wildlife are, are keen to find naturally but but as far as like some other things to to look at just the plant requirements so how much space is available you know is is important you need to have you need to take a look at what trees that you want to plant and their pollination requirements if a tree requires a pollinator you need to factor that in a chestnut, a Dunstan chestnut, for instance, requires at least one for pollination. Um, but we recommend three plus four, five, six. The more you have, the better, because especially in the early years, there will be not that many flowers. And as the tree matures, they'll have more and more flowers, which will mean more and more pollination. And that cross-pollination is what you need for mass production. That's one thing to kind of think about. Uh, you know, if if you have, you know, a, a small area, uh, you, you may 
you may yeah it, depending on the the uh, the openness of the area you may want to select a different spot depending on you know how much room you have uh another thing to think about uh is sunlight we highly recommend full sun for most if not all mass producing trees the 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 more open sunlight the better it is for uh you know production mass production growth sunlight is where trees get their energy to be able to grow another thing to think about is uh drainage anywhere where you have significant standing water where you might see flooding every few years uh, or if the ground stays really wet just a bad drainage area a low-lying spot in between you know two slopes um you uh you can't plant there for most species most uh, mass producing species don't like wet feet and their roots will mold and won't survive so we recommend well-drained soil um, at your planting site and you know those really are the most uh, important things you know some other things to think about um, you know you could think about this but at the end of the day these next I think like few that I, I will mention are typically not there you can overcome these these ones um, but one uh, is uh, soil and soil health, you know, you can fertilize and you can, you know, take if If you have poor soils on your property, you can take a soil sample, bring it down to your local agricultural extension, and they can give you recommendations on what kind of fertilizers to use to make sure that your trees are getting the correct nutrients that they need. And you can typically amend if needed. Um, with, with fertilizer. Uh, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't keep that from, you know, I, I wouldn't use that to keep you from planting at a certain site if that's the only spot you have. Um, it Sometimes it's better to just, just try. The other thing, you know, with soils is they really determine the water retention. Uh, so just like we mentioned standing, I mentioned standing water a second ago. Uh, if a site has clay soils, which is, you know, doesn't drain as well as, you know, a sandy soil would, you just might want to augment your watering depending on what the soil is like at, at your site. So if you have clay and you have like super moist soil for a, an extended period of time, maybe you're only going to water once a week instead of two. Uh, maybe you'll water every other week uh, if it's really moist and you have some rain during the summers. On the opposite spectrum, if your soil is really sandy, um, you may have it drain out super quick and you might need to water two, three times a week in the summertime. So all of those are important to just watch. Uh, and then an, another one to think about would be, and this is, I wouldn't say terribly important at all times, but it's something to think about. If you have a lot of land, you can maybe pick uh pick and choose, but really low-lying areas can have frost pockets. And, you know, you may want to pick a spot that's a little higher up on a slope so that, you know, that cool air can fall. But again, I mean, that's something that uh, if you have the ability to choose between a bunch of different spots, 
right. then maybe make that decision. But if you don't, I wouldn't let that deter you from, you know, creating your own orchard. Yeah. In a yeah. perfect world, you would pay attention to those last couple of things, but yeah. they, uh, a little bit extra. Right. Well, yep. Ian, uh, you know, I'm going to let my brown thumb show here a little bit. I, I do my best out there, but at the end of the day, I'm a hunter first and, and, a you know, a farmer or an agronomist or whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm that not even second, you know, I'm just learning my way through this stuff. And, you know, when I want to take you back to what you were saying about pollination requirements, I just recently in life learned that for a lot of species, there are male and female trees. So I was walking around with my forester on my property. And I said, man, you know, this persimmon right here, it always puts out good fruit. And this persimmon is just as big and it never puts out fruit. And he was like, well, that's, that's a male. You know? And so I'm going, oh, I didn't even know it worked like that. So uh, are all trees that way? Do all trees have males and, and females? Um, like from a pollination perspective, do you need to make sure you have both? Yeah, I would really just look at where whatever source you're going to buy trees from, look at the pollination requirements and go off of that. Because typically when you're buying from a nursery, they're going to give you recommendations for pollination. For instance, I mentioned the Dunstan chestnut earlier. It requires at least two. So a third helps, a fourth helps and so on, but at least two. Then you have apple varieties where you might need a different variety for it to be able to pollinate best. Persimmon is another interesting one. This gets in, uh, into a really complicated arena and I, I'll, I'll do my best to keep it simple and not too like in depth, but persimmons, <laughs> they have a, a wide range of uh, different genetics, um, but persimmons in general, um, and the reason I'm going to go into this just kind of briefly is just to kind of like give an example of how complicated this gets, but persimmons are particularly complicated. So there are two different chromosome persimmons and there are also male and female persimmons. And at the end of the day, most, most places that you're going to purchase a persimmon, they're using grafted female persimmons, which means they're female and they're going to produce the fruit. Now, depending on the variety, some might need a pollinator from a male. Now, others might actually produce a fruit on its own with no seed. Now, that would mean that it's it just produces a non-fertilized egg, if that makes sense, just like a chicken would you produce an egg the persimmon is producing the egg, but there's actually no seed involved at all. And, and there's no pollination happening there for that fruit. And then, and then it gets even kind of more complicated where maybe, maybe some have perfect flowers, which means that the flower has both male and female, uh, and it's, it's actually pollinating itself. And so <laughs> there's, like a wide variety of different. No, I have, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, go back to that manufacturer, yeah. the, the the nursery, you know, and ask them. You got to figure out what you have. There, there yep. could be a host of different things going on with that. I totally right. get what you're saying there. I also want to ask you about your full sun recommendation. This is another issue. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of different sites. We had some, we had some food plots that we opened up last year during a timber harvest. So, so what we did was we we made them longer, we made them wider. 
And, and I've got these areas now where I'm thinking about planting some chestnuts and in a cluster is what I'm thinking. And the, these areas butt up to some existing uh, hardwood stands that are closed canopy hardwood stands. And so from a full sunlight perspective, I'm wondering how far away from that tree line do I need to get to give that cluster of chestnuts or and really anything, any, t- any type of tree, how far away do I need to get from that to give them full sunlight for long enough? Uh, I mean, obviously they're going to get bigger and bigger. So when you say full sunlight, um, what exactly does that mean from a spacing perspective? So again, uh, you can reference most, uh, most nurseries will give you you know, a spacing for your tree plantings. And so I would go off of that spacing, you know, might be 35, 40 foot, 40 foot between trees. So maybe you would go 35 or 40 feet away from the tree line and that would give you sufficient room, just like if you were planting it next to a grove of other chestnuts, um, that, that should give it the space for its canopy to, you know, extend as far out as it needs to. And, you know, some, some people, we have it frequently where people don't, maybe they, maybe they don't have the room for the full spacing and, or maybe they have a food plot. That's uh, like a, you know, ground plot that's more important to them. And they want to just supplement their food plot with mast. Mm -hmm. And, and that maybe gets in the way of them planting kind of like you're saying, it's kind of pushing it up the edge of the tree line. And they just want to plant it regardless, you know, um, that's okay. What's going to happen is it's just going to reduce the productivity. And, and so, I mean, I like to recommend the best possible solution as, you know, somebody who provides trees, but you, so I would say the best possible solution is full sunlight, no matter what, but if you're getting most of the day, you're getting sunlight six to eight hours, then you're still going to get enough sunlight for some production. It just might not be the best production. So don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good when you're, when you're planting your orchard, but also it sounds like if, if your space is limited, you're probably better off to go with fewer trees with the correct amount of spacing than you would say, just planting more trees if you don't have enough room for them. I would agree with that for sure. I would say go off of the the spacing because you're going to maximize the amount of fruit or nut on each tr- tree. And at the end of the day, uh, it's it's quite the investment to plant trees. It's a huge right. time investment to get water out there. It's a huge investment to get that initial you know planting done. So you want to make sure that each tree you buy is going to get you know the biggest bang for its buck. Well, one thing that Joe and I have been talking about in uh, preparation of getting our chestnut trees in the ground is we, whenever I first started, you know, kind of cultivating our place in Alabama, we did a lot of uh, other nut producing trees kind of around our food plot to supplement like you're talking about. Um, It sounds like that planting them in a row like that for chestnuts would not be the best setup for their optimized growth. Um, So we've talked about doing like, you know, triangles of three in one corner and triangles of three in another corner or a circle. Are there any recommendations there? Or is it just kind of, if you have the space requirements and you can do five 
what's your best setup there? Yeah, I, I actually like that. You just said doing the, the groups of three, or if you have the space, doing groups of five. You know, I, again, I like to preach the most efficient, the best possible solution, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into some of the, you know, the, for those who may not have those options to, to do it perfectly. Um, sometimes the planning site doesn't allow it to be, you know, a perfect scenario. So technically you can still get pollination up to a hundred feet. Um, technically right. now with it, with young trees, that's going to happen very slowly because of how little flowers are, are, are growing in the, in the very beginning. And, and as they mature, there might be more, it's also going to reduce the amount of production you're getting on those trees. Um, but you can get pollination up to hundred feet. You can even really, I mean, there's studies show that uh, pollination can happen really much further than that, uh, in the wild too. You know, if you think about native trees out there in the woods, they can be, you know, a mile apart and still have some pollination from different plants around. Mm -hmm. That being said, I would recommend to go with the spacing and go the best possible solution is to do a grid, to do, you know, five by five and and do, you know, five in a row. Like like legit orchard, orchard style. Like an orchard style. That would be the best possible solution to get the best uh, possible pollination. Uh, however, um, if you were to do it in a straight line, that that would also work. Doing it in triangles or quads or on uh, you know in a few different spots mm. that would also be great. I I actually uh, I really like that solution having three little clusters of three that are maybe within a few hundred feet of each other. Sure, could be a solution as well. Um, but yeah. again, if they're all together, that's the best way to go. Yeah, because we do a lot of bow hunting, you know, in those um, a little bit closer together, that stuff closer together to be able to hunt with a bow, you know, 50 yard maximum would be nice. Um, and also you have to have enough room to, you know, be able to run a bush hog through it and get your food or, you know, a plow or a bush hog and a spreader and all that. So you'd have to have your, you have to have enough room to get your food plot work done as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is many people's solution is to, you have your food plot and it's outlined by you know mass producing fruit nut and that that's i think one of the one of the best ways to go about it um you know i mean generally i mean if you're in if you have an acre plot a circle of trees around the outs the perimeter of the acre is is perfectly fine for for pollination good to know the man has spoken joe you know you're talking about uh we're talking about chestnuts what butch and i are looking at you know planting on our places but uh, and I've got persimmons, quite a few just wild persimmons around. One of the things I've really enjoyed about my property is being able to go up there in the summertime and pick blackberries and mushrooms and bringing the kids and bringing the wife. And we all get out there and just enjoy the land, you know, 365 days a year is what we, what our goal is. When I'm thinking about planting different types of trees, that's the same thing I want to provide for the wildlife that are in the areas. I really want there to be something fruiting, something growing, something dropping uh, as many days out of the year as possible so that those animals get used to my property. They, they're they born on my property. They grow up on my property. Uh, they don't really want to leave. And 
thinking about that, uh, same thing uh, with the family. Uh, I want to give them as many opportunities to go up throughout the year. And hey, this, this is the the trip that we we're going to pick blackberries on, or whatever it may be. So when it comes to you know focusing on on wildlife habitat as many days of the year as possible. What what tree combinations do you think we should think about? And then also, can you plant these things together? You know, could you plant persimmons near chestnuts without any ill effects? Yeah. Just to answer that question, first off, I think all tree species planted together, they all benefit each other. You know, many trees flower kind of at different times, mostly in the spring, but they might flower a few weeks apart or a month apart. Um, and also depending on when they drop fruit, they might flower at, you know, different times over the summer and pollination, pollinator species, pollinator uh, species are attracted to all the different flowers that occur. So your birds, your bees, the bugs uh, here in Florida, we have a uh, love bug season. I don't know if you guys have love bugs in, in oh, Alabama, yeah. but boy, boy, do we it, you probably just, I, you probably just called up a bad year for us. Ian. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not had a wood. bad year in a while. <laughs> All right. It gets bad. And, and, but those are stuck. I literally stuck in the chestnut catkins, which are the, the chestnut flower. They die in there cause they get, you know, so entangled. Um, so all, all those are species are going to just, benefit help each other out in your area and help each other out and create a better pollination health in your area um so yeah more the more species the better for your local ecosystem i think um as long as you're planting in you know little groves like we said that have the correct amount of plants for sufficient pollination but as far as different varieties go you know I, i i agree with you i just think having a wide range of uh, a different tree types is the best option. And to research the widest range of fruit dropping possible. And I'll just go ahead and start to ramble off some. Well, f- first off, uh, I was just out on Saturday on the farm picking blueberries with my 11 month old. Uh, and then we went over to the mulberries. And, you know, she just had juice all over her face. I mean, there's <laughs> there's uh, tons of fruit on those mulberries right now. It was uh, a colder winter in the early winter. And I think that th- the mulberries must have liked it because it's one of the most bumper crops I've seen almost ever. You know, so mulberries start really early. Um, blueberries are happening here early in the spring here where we are in Florida. And, you know, selecting some species that that start really early on in the winter. Like I said, mulberries are one of them. Blueberries, peaches in the south start early on. Uh, then you start to have plums and uh, different berries throughout the summer, blackberries, um, raspberries. And then, you know, throughout the summer, as those come off, you, you start to have into the, you know, later summer, early fall pear uh apple start to come on and then into the fall time you have you know pear and apple persimmon and uh that's when your kind of hard mass starts to come on to chestnuts and a ton of acorn 
kind of come on uh, a little later than that. And so, you know, between all of those, I, I would recommend, yeah, mulberry, blueberry, plum, apple, crab apple, berries, persimmon, pear and apple, and, uh, and chestnut. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I mean, it's just kind of a, uh, gets me excited to think about like the future and what the future might look like, you know, when I'm older and, and the land has had a chance to kind of see these things through, but the idea that really there's never a bad time to go, you know, I think a lot of times as hunters, we get, oh, well, it's deer season, got to go. It's turkey season, got to go. And then there's kind of this long period between the end of hunting seasons and, oh, okay, we're going up to plant food plots. And I really look at my place as 365 day a year kind of place to go. And, and, and that's just one more thing to do. What about the shrub species? You know, you're talking about talking about your blueberries and, you know, you get, you got your blackberry brambles and things of that nature. Any negative effects from, from having those species interplanted? Again, the main concern would just be sunlight. The more sunlight you get on those, the better. If you have them under uh, a canopy, I mean, over time as a chestnut uh, matures or a, even a mulberry matures, um, they might shade out some of the those berries. That definitely makes sense. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next scouted hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. Well, I mentioned it earlier. We just went through a a pretty significant timber harvest, and, and we're converting a lot of what was pine plantation uh, into food plot. In, in this case, like we're talking about today, some of that's going to get converted into orchards, you know, kind of throughout the property is, is my thought for it. If we're taking an area, let's say it's in my case, it's pine plantation, but for somebody else, it may be a, an old pasture, you know, an old field that, that they want to put into some type of an orchard. What steps do we need to be thinking about to prepare that area before we plant? So, in the best world, <laughs> having bare ground is a great place to start, reducing the amount of competition at the base of a young tree is helpful. And then once you've planted to put a weed mat around the base of the tree to keep out the sunlight from growing grasses and, and other weeds, um, that's the best solution. So, you know, that being said, it doesn't have to be that perfect. I just did a, a quick planting with one tree just a couple weeks back, actually, for a quick video. I replanted a tree in the orchard, and I just took a hoe out, and I just you know scored up the ground enough that it was a little bare, and, and I think that was plenty of prep for it. It took me 30 seconds. Yeah. you know, And if you're planting five trees, that's probably all you'll need to do. If you're planting larger portions, yeah, you may want to just till it right along with your food plot. 
you know, just go a little further out and, and get that section tilled up and it makes it a little easier. If you're doing a ton of plants, um, you know, you're, you're planting a, a, a large portion. I mean, really planting a small tree doesn't take a whole lot of digging. I mean, it's a small hole. If you think about how, how large the root ball is, you know, we have some videos on kind of, and we have instructions on our website on how, how to plant, but really you don't want to you know, two times the size of the root ball or, or the, the pot, the soil that the, the, you know, the tree comes in, in the pot. I mean, no, no larger than two times the size of that, that container. And you can imagine a three gallon container that you might find at Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart. It's, it's not a big hole that takes just a, you know, a minute to dig it out. If you're doing a big planting or you're planting bigger trees, uh, an auger might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that in some of our just nursery production. Um, you know, we have quite a few augers that we use, but besides that, you know, I, I uh, a, a bare ground and a weed mat, I think are some of the best things to start a tree out. I think if, if you could do it too, you know, Butch, you, you know, you've been up there with me and we've done a little burning together and well, yeah, I, I really like the way that it looked after we were doing some controlled burnings and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of looking at that going, man, this would be a perfect time. Well, I was just thinking whenever Ian was talking, agreed, the burning would have to be way better than herbicide, I would think, for for many reasons. Yeah, I think you'd have to be careful with the herbicides, right? Because some of those for herbicides sure. are going to say, stay active. <laughs> you may be putting your tree in, right into a herbicide, which is not, not a good thing. You'd have to be careful on that for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. You know, we, especially with fruit, some fruit varieties are pretty susceptible to, you know, a, like a pre-emergent that's going to mm-hmm. stick around for a while. It can distort a persimmon, even a real young tree. The living layer is, is just on the outs external on the outside of the tree right there. Um, when a tree gets older, it starts to have the bark over the top of kind of the living section that's um, transferring, you know, all of the the water up and down. And if just a little bit of herbicide gets in to that living layer, um, you can you can have a, a sick tree from from too much herbicide. And, and you know, I mean, I know this is not necessarily planting, but something to think about. You know, some guys think, oh, they just planted, they got young trees in the ground, they didn't come out to their property for a few months in the summer and suddenly the weeds are, you know, chest high or grass is chest high and they're going to just spray it down. And you got to be really, really careful with young trees um, because drift can just, just torture a young tree and kill it. So yeah, don't do that. (laughs) But I, I highly agree with you. Burning would be a really beneficial way to, get rid of that kind of like natural layer and get the trees in there. Yeah. Great place to start. I like the, the weed mat idea too. just go ahead and do away with all competition from the very beginning and give it the best, the best option there. Um, so I think you've done a great job. We figured out our spacing. We figured out, you know, where not to go to plant and where to go to plant. Um, how do we determine the right timing for, uh, I would assume that where I'm, you know, where I'm at in mid to South Alabama is going to be different than say Tennessee or something like that. So how do we know what's best for our area when we get started? So I would say the most traditional time to plant is bare root in the very early spring. Um, I would say the, the most, uh, classic time would kind of be right 
at your average last frost date in your area. You've received your bare root and dormant trees right at that average last frost date time. When you're past that time, you're past the risk of new frost. And if it starts to, you know, grow new leaves, everything start to come out, the new tree, you're past the highest risk of it getting burnt again. So springtime, dormant, in just just as things are starting to break dormancy is a really cl- the classic time to plant. In fact, I'd say a lot of people really think that's the only time you can plant, which just isn't the case. With proper watering, you can plant all throughout spring, especially when the temperatures are more mild. And even throughout the summer, uh, you can plant. You would just need to make sure that your trees don't shock from dehydration because when it gets hot, they just need water. That's the, that's the main thing. Keep them watered. If you're planting remotely, you may want to do it at that more traditional early spring time. And then if you're remote, the other option would be to plant maybe in the fall or more if you're not remote, but planting in the fall has some pretty key benefits. Number one is that the tree is starting to go to sleep and as it goes dormant into the winter, it has a lot less water requirements. So it doesn't need to be watered quite as much, but it's going to continue to grow its roots and establish so that in spring, when it starts to come out of dormancy, it's already kind of established itself in its hole and, and it kind of has a little bit of a head start. So, But I would say neither are better. I think both that early springtime and fall when things are starting to kind of shut down are both really good time times to plant. And in a pinch, you can plant any time during that kind of spring and through summer and fall. That being said, you can't, can't plant in the winter when it's too cold in the north and the ground's frozen. That that being said, in the, in the south, you can really plant all year round. Yeah. It was kind of a funny year this year because we had some really warm temperatures in late winter. And then we had some really very cold temperatures here uh, in early spring, uh, at mm. least in my, at least in my place. And we've had a ton yeah, of rain my place too. here recently. You know, like if I had planted, like you're saying, around that average last frost date, I would have been, I'd, my trees would be very well watered at the moment. Yeah, yeah it'd um, been perfect. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times that, that fall period, you know, especially it seems like October, right around where we are, Man, it can be so dry unless we get a some kind of tropical system that comes up. We can just have days and days. Luckily, this year, this past fall, is it exactly that. We were doing a timber harvest. We had like 45 days where we had one rain event. Uh, so it was just super dry. So I could see that being, you know, timing that right to take advantage of, you know, natural precipitation, especially for our guys that maybe aren't on their properties to be able to water their their trees as much. Uh, would be a big advantage. I want I want to go back to one thing about site preparation real quick. If we're planting in an area that's been recently timber's recently been harvested, or you know we've got a lot of stumps in the ground, regardless of uh, what's happened, is there any any need to remove those stumps, or can you just plant you know in between this in the spaces in between, and then as that tree grows and those stumps naturally rot, is it going to be able to do what it needs to do? You know, it's an interesting one. I I think. I think they would probably be just fine, seeing as in 10 years, some of that root system is probably not going to be 
you know, as as strong in the in the old trunk. I know pine is also kind of vertical root system. Yeah. Whereas uh, you know, oaks are a little bit more widespread root system under the right. ground and really not very very far below ground actually. Right. Um chestnuts the same way. It, it's not a very vertical root system. It 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 spreads out pretty wide. Generally the root system spreads about as far out as the canopy spreads out. So if you would Im imagine a, a 35, 40 foot spacing where the canopy is going to be about 35 to 40 foot is about how far that root system is going to go out. However, the main strong roots, the, the thick big roots will be mostly underneath the tree. And as you get further out, it'll be more like, you know, smaller kind of tendrils and yeah. i'd assume those would grow around some of the roots from pine i mean in in a best case scenario i'd say you you could remove it but that that's a ton of work to do oh, a yeah. stump removal yeah a lot of work a lot of a lot of expense a lot of time i would think you know like with pines you don't have to worry about stump sprouting but like if you're in an area a lot of your pines have sweet gums inter, you know interspersed in between them or if you've cut down you know been in a hardwood area you're going to be dealing with stump sprouting competition too. Uh, it may well, be something my that first treat those stumps. Yeah. My first thought on that was just being able to get around the tree and do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. What's best for that tree that having those stumps for the tractor or for the right. UTV or whatever. That was my first thought there. Just get rid of those things. Yeah. If you're in a pine yeah. plantation, you may be all right to you cause you got the rows already, you know, you may be okay to just go in between the rows. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they don't de-stump the pine plantation when they replant it. So you would think, you know, those That's pines right. are able to, to get going and do what they need to do. So I would think that you'd be okay. You know, going, going back to actually planting the trees, you were talking about making that hole about twice as big as say the, the container that it's in the volume of that container. What about planting the tree itself? Like I've heard different things, but there's like some rules of thumb when it comes to, uh, where that root ball needs to be. So does it need to be below the level of the ground at the level of the ground or above the level of the ground? I would say slightly above the level of, of ground, the, the roots itself want, you want them to be level, but you want the crown just above the roots to have a slight rise just above ground level, just a little bit, maybe, you know, a half an inch or less. What you don't want to do is to cover the where the the crown is just coming out the where the you know the the main trunk is just coming out you don't want to cover that with soil um, because that can cause you know rot and different issues so i would recommend just being a little bit high with the root ball and and when you pack it you can pack like a little mound around it um to kind of create a little area for you to pour your water in like a little bowl but in the center of that bowl you can have your, your, your root ball a little bit higher. So mm. when I say two times, I mean, two times the width, but gotcha. not two times depth. You want gotcha. the depth to be just about as, you know, as high as the, the pot was deep. And, um, I'd watch, I'd watch when you plant, I would look at the, uh, the trunk coming out of the soil. It's a common issue to see nurseries plant their pots too deep. Um, 
you know, they, they may take a seedling and step it into a larger pot uh, and that their workers may do it a little bit too deep sometimes. So you want to make sure to go maybe a little higher. Uh, just just look at where the end of that that trunk is, right where the root system starts and make sure that's just above ground. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I don't I think I probably would have messed that part up. It makes sense though. Stay away from that that trunk for reasons like you're talking about. You like kind of get that decomposy, can kind of stay wet right there and have some uh, issues on that trunk with the with the rot. Butch, if yep. you and I can screw something up, uh, we will screw it up. Which that's is fact. Why we're asking every question we can think of of that's Ian fact. when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could be a little self serving, but I think if we have the questions, everybody could, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, pretty man. simple planting trees for the most part, you know, trees are pretty resilient, but right. if you want to get it detailed, you can get as detailed as you want with most of these topics. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you're, you're, you're buying them, you're putting in the work. You want to have the best possible outcome, no doubt. Right. Yep. You know, you mentioned the mounding that dirt up on the trunk of the tree and that can create rot, uh, issues of that nature. Once we've got our trees in the ground. We've done everything we've talked about up to this point. What problems should we be looking for in, in, when we're inspecting our trees after we plant them? The number one thing is consistent water. If a tree is not watered in the first few years, you know, if you don't have supplemental water, unfortunately, you just can't rely on Mother Nature alone to to keep you know a tree wet. Just like you said, there was a real big dry spell mm-hmm. in fall that you had. You just never know when you're going to have a drought. So I would recommend, depending on your soil, you want to make sure to water your plant at least two times a week for the first few years after you've planted. Um, a little bit more in the south, uh, maybe a little bit less in in, in the north. But you, you gotta you gotta supplemental water if you want to guarantee that your trees survive. Otherwise, you're just not guaranteed. I'm going to back you up a little bit on that. Uh, we don't talk, we haven't talked about tree protectors at all. I don't think. Um, so, you know, we got this perfect setup. We got this beautiful orchard. We have the perfect spacing. How, I mean, I would assume it's very important. Every tree I've ever planted at my place has a tree protector on it for as long as, you know, the tree could stand it. Are there any rules of thumb there on tree protectors? Yeah. You know, for a young tree, we, we recommend grow tubes. Um, grow tubes are, are just a nice, um, way to support the tree to protect from some small critters uh and in that kind of early springtime it can act as a little bit of a kind of like a very mini greenhouse in a sense Mm -hmm. um for some protection and but really tree protection at the end of the day is to protect from larger animals who are gonna bump and grind with it and Mm -hmm. bears deer uh, they love, I mean, pigs, pigs, pigs. <laughs> yep. Um, Damn I mean, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. Rabbits, mice can <laughs> gnaw on a young tree, oh, wow. which is why a grow tube is a great option. But for those bigger animals, I, I mean, I'd recommend a metal caging. I mean, that's the best possible option is to have, you know, a, a like a fence caging, you know, six foot above the browse line because deer, are just they're attracted to that <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, for sure it's like they have a target sitting on them you know but well, uh you know if you if it's a, it's a huge investment especially if you're planting 50 100 trees to have a, a a bunch of caging like that so 
you can also use deer netting. You know, there's different options that you can search for. I mean, chicken wire, uh, there's, there's plenty of options, but the best really option is, is two um, fence posts and some, some fencing. You know, I want to go back uh, now to what you were saying about water and, you know, thinking about the logistics of keeping trees watered is, is one of the things that gives me a little bit of heartburn. So if, if we're, <laughs> you know, we're trying to get two days a week uh, of water on these trees consistently. Obviously we can watch the weather, right? Like if we get rain, great. You just made my workload lighter, but how can this be handled? How have you seen folks successfully handle that at a, at a larger scale? Uh, water's heavy. Water's not, you know, all that easily available to get, especially for folks that are, you know, they've got wildlife properties and not necessarily got uh, running water out to an orchard, you know, behind their house, so to speak. How are you seeing people keep trees watered? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, on a larger scale, I mean, digging a well would be great. That's a pretty big investment. So I understand a lot of guys aren't going to do that on a remote piece of property, especially. Two, just a, a huge tank that you can fit on the back of your truck or your cart or whatever, tractor you know, to tote in three would be buckets. You can get like a pickle bucket, like a, your, your typical plastic bucket. Five gallon bucket. We call them pickle buckets. I don't, I don't, I don't know what other people call (laughs) them. That's a Florida thing. Yeah. You're a little too, you're a little too far down in in Florida. It's just just a five gallon bucket around here, Ian. That's right. five, Five gallon bucket with just a really small hole drilled in the very bottom or the very side at the bottom or or even at the bottom can catch rainwater and act like a little bit of a cistern okay. uh, and maybe extend you a little further. You know, you can fill it up when you show up so that it kind of just drips slowly throughout, you know, the next day or so, depending on how small of a hole. I mean, if you drill it with a drill bit, you know, like a small drill bit, it's just going to pour out in a matter of hours. But I mean, if you prick it, that that can kind of slowly deliver water uh, that can get clogged up really quickly with mold and, you know, algae or whatever. So I, I you know, I'd keep an eye on those. That's an option. I, I do see success with it. I do it myself. Typically, when I plant like replant in the orchard, which like I said, I just did a few weeks ago. Yeah. You know, it's kind of shady enough there. It's kind of temperate enough. It's kind of at the bottom of a hill and a really nice kind of little Valley. I don't water it too frequently. And I've seen some okay success with the bucket, but you know, I'm not out in a, in a pasture with full sun blazing right. hot. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, and plus it's kind of the bottom of a hill. There's some nice kind of, you know, so really nice soil there. It keeps water nicely. So the last line of defense I would say is a product that we, we sell called Hydrotane, um, which is, uh, it's a, basically it helps to re- retain water in soil and you apply it by watering it. You mix it in with, you know, a, you know, a bucket and you, water it around the roots and it it keeps moisture hmm. with their technology it's like a it's almost like a gel uh, right it's kind of like a like crystal that forms a gel when it hits water and just kind of slow release of the cor- correct 
just holds moisture better, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How much is needed, you know, per tree? I mean, that that's another thing is I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, Butch, I'm thinking about like an IBC tote, you know, 275 gallon IBC tote, yeah. pretty, pretty easy to fill up and move around. They're palletized. You can pick them up with a tractor and forks on a tractor kind of thing. But how much are we needing per tree? You know, you mentioned a couple times a week. Yeah. Or fill up a backpack sprayer or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So how much water do you think? I'd recommend a couple gallons. Okay. A gallon. I mean, again, this really depends on your soil. So if you got super sandy soil, you might want to drench it a little deeper and a little bit more because that the water is just going to pour right out of it. If it's really clay soil or really like a fine kind of sandy loam soil, that's going to retain a lot of water and moisture. A gallon might be good. And that's per or per week? Per, per tree, per watering. Gotcha. That's something you may just have to play with a little bit too. You know, if you have some right. in the back 80 that are burning, you know, burning up water, you know, that's a dry place, but you know, over there on right. 10 alley three, it might not be as, you know, that it's probably going to be fine most of the time because it stays pretty moist. You know what I mean? You just right. have to play with it a little bit. Right. Yep. Is there any rule of thumb and in, in just kind of thinking about those requirements, like not all rains are created equal. Mm -hmm. So we get a quarter inch or we get an, an inch, you know, how do we know like what's enough? in terms of natural precipitation. Because the way I look at my place is I'm usually up there off season, a couple times a month during the season, maybe twice that much uh, or twice that long. But you know, I'm definitely not up there every week. If I'm watching the precipitation levels and I see that and had rain in a while, okay, time to make a trip, water the trees, pick some blackberries, kill a pig or two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, how, when do I know when I haven't had enough rain. I would watch the area. Yeah. Every property is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I would watch your property and go after a rain and dig up some soil next to the trees and see how deeply the moisture has retained. Mm -hmm. um, if you're dry for a long time and that soil is dry, you know, down into the where the root ball would be in a new, in a new tree. It's going to take a substantial amount of rain to really penetrate. Mm -hmm. And you might get one of those heavy hard summer showers that just lets loose for, you know, 10 minutes and you'd be surprised it may not penetrate very deeply. Yeah. Um so, you know, a sustained good big storm is is really what you're looking for, but I you know, I, you just don't there is know no how inch amount. It's it's more about saturation. How the how the rain came. I mean, you're exactly right about that. You can get an inch, you can get an inch in 20 minutes sometimes, and mm -hmm. most of oh, that yeah. goes into the creek. Whereas if you get one of those long, drizzly rains, soaking rain, really, yeah. really soak in. Mm -hmm. And Makes so I, I'd get out there. Yep, feel it. You know, with your hands next to the trees. I would just keep an eye on the trees and look at what you know what what the the trees are looking like if they look dehydrated. Make sure to get some water on them. I mean, maybe even put a trail cam out yeah. on your tree. That's actually a good and idea. You can take a look at how they're looking. I don't know how detailed you can get, um, but it you know might be a way for a guy who's remote and and they they can only get out there every so often. At least they could take a look and say, "Hey, they're looking crispy. I need to get out there asap." Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. And if you know, got a little little puddles around here and there, you you probably got a little rain recently. Sure. Um, you touched on it a little bit in the beginning of the show about fertilizer and how important it is to do a soil sample to kind of see what you have. 
is it a guarantee that you're going to have to fertilize that tree, whatever tree we're talking about for two years, or do you have to get a soil test to see what you got and you may or may not fertilize? I would recommend fertilizing in the first, uh, actually, I would recommend fertilizing forever. Okay, great. It, it, you know, it, it just, it's really beneficial to your production. You're going to see uh, a tree get chlorotic, which means that it's just turning yellow. The leaves aren't green and nice looking. And it can happen pretty quickly. It just It also de- kind of depends on your area. Um, but I mean, if your trees are looking green and healthy every year and you haven't fertilized, that's fine. Then maybe don't. Uh, but I, I'd recommend just a cheap fertilizer over time. Uh, in the first few years, I would recommend a, a time release like Scott's Osmocote. Um, something that's going to have a nice, you know, six months during the growing season, you know, balanced, you know, it's got everything in it. And then I, I got to mention this, not at planting. It's really important not to fertilize at planting because you can burn tender new roots that are trying to establish. This is, you know, a few months in or a year later. Sure. Scott's Osmocote or another time release, nice fertilizer. Um, for the first, you know, few years, but you know, as time goes by, just a really simple, you know, instant release. I mean, something cheap, whatever, it's fine. Just something to keep something keep, to get a little boost, just to give those nutrients to it. Yep. Well, Ian, uh, I mean, it seems like we've just about covered it. It really, you know, once you you figure out what you want to plant, where you want to plant it, get your site prep, get your tree in the ground. Uh, it really sounds like the the biggest challenge with doing this is just keeping that tree watered. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, one of the things I, I think I forgot to mention as well uh, is we have uh, water bags also that can provide water over time. It's similar to the bucket. Um, you fill it up and it acts as a real slow release of mm-hmm. your water. But they also have uh, water bags that have... Uh, like a soil gel, uh, like a, a moisture wicking substance that collects water from rain uh, and, and also releases water slowly from that too. So there's a couple other options there that might help some of those remote planters. You know, there's, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, there is a lot to think about. And it sounds like you guys have a lot of products uh, available for, for folks that are trying to put an orchard in on their place. Uh, is there anything new with you guys this year? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the one of the most popular things that that we have are some of our tree packages, where they come with. We have a, a ten tree package. It comes with the grow uh, the grow tubes and the weed mats, um, and we also have, uh, you know, it just comes all in a bundle with everything. Has the planning instructions, which goes over a lot of what we've talked about so far. Um, but then we also have some variety options. Uh, there's you know, our Dunstans and fruit, uh, which have uh, our selection of some native fruit along with some Dunstan chestnut um, and a few other uh, assortment packages like that, where you can kind of pick what kind of fruit you would like. And, um, you know, we've selected it for varieties that have, you know, fruiting times throughout the year. That's uh, very cool. Uh, you have also got some really great resources uh, over on chestnuthilloutdoors.com where you really answer a lot of these questions again. If, if you've forgotten what, what we've talked about today or you're just looking for those specific planning instructions for the tree, timing, 
spacing. You got it all there. Uh, it's been very helpful to me uh, as I've been planning this out on my property and, you know, going on and sketching out exactly where I'm going to put these trees, how far apart I'm going to have them. A ton of great information over there. And, and you've given us a ton of great information today, man. I think we've covered it just about everything. Uh, but, you know, if folks do have a question specific to their situation, what's a good way for them to reach out to you guys if they want to, you know, ask about their specific property kind of trees that they're thinking about planting? Yeah. You know, I think one of the best ways to educate yourself is to go to our learning center. Like you said, we have a, a whole database of things that we just went over um, and you can read even further into it. Um, but if you have any specific questions, you can email us and and call us if you go to our contact section on the on the website. But there's our email is chestnuthilloutdoors at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Uh, and and we also have our phone number there. And we have uh, staff who are answering the phones during business hours and can help you to pick what might be best for your property as well. Um, and and if you have any questions about you know where you can get the trees, you can order them and have them mail order shipped during our spring and our fall season. Um, but we also ship to uh, box stores, Walmart and Rural King, also some co-op feed dealers in the north. And we're just starting our main shipping season uh, this week. Um, so we're going out to the Southern stores and we ship basically from April through the end of May. So those are our larger sizes. The three and seven gallon sizes are are in those box stores. Well, Ian, it's always fun talking trees with you, man. I, I can't wait till we dream up the uh, the next the next show. I think we're going to have some uh, some thinking to do about some, some water delivery contraptions. Uh, I've got some ideas. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what we can come up with that on that next. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Guys, let's take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also, Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops, because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. A lot to think about when it comes to planting a tree, Butch. It really is, man. Yeah, like a lot, a lot. And not even just planting the tree, but getting ready to plant the tree and mm -hmm. being able to service that tree mm -hmm. after you put it in the ground is, uh, it can seem a little daunting, I think. That's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I, but you know what I took from what Ian was saying is that uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Everything he was, everything he was saying today is in the ideal scenario, if you want an right. orchard that's going to produce maximum fruit, maximum nuts, healthy trees growing at their maximum rate, then this is what you do. And, and this is how you do it. And 
but you know, doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Good is going to be better than perfect. Right. right. And you may, maybe you plant, maybe you plant a hundred trees and maybe you lose a few of them. Maybe you need to account for that. Maybe you need to right. plan on, there might be some periods where I can't get up there every week to water them, you know, so when I'm just going to not, not, not get needed. enough water. And it may, just, and that's the way it goes in the wild, you know, but maybe you're doing this behind your house and water's not an issue, you know? So I like that. I like that he gave us the, the ideal way to do it. And then you just do your best. And it's kind of the way you have to look at land ownership as a whole. I have gotten sure. into this mindset, you know, before where I'm like, well, you know, I'm got to do it right. Or I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it at all. But the reality of it is, it's like everything you do out there, as long as you're doing it to benefit the land and benefit the wildlife, if you come up short, you still did more than if you sat back and did nothing trying to make it be perfect. Facts. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. So, uh, I like the trail was, cam idea. That was an interesting thing that I had not thought about. Yeah. I like that. I still say, and I've said this to you, if there's any trail camera manufacturers out there listening, somebody needs to invent a rain gauge that plugs into your trail camera. If they yeah. would do that and you could see when it's raining, you know, put one of those on each food plot, or in this case, put it right there, you know, on your orchard and have a, have an on-site rain gauge that fed that back to you through cell cam. I'll not be that hard to do. We, we well, I mean, and yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. That's a little bit next level. I mean, you and I use them for different things, you know, just seeing if our food plots are wet or yeah. growing. And I have some friends that um, do some stuff for ducks, you know, to see if their duck hole is holding water right. or they need to, you know, pump some water in or their rice is growing or their corn is growing in their duck hole or, you know, whatever, yeah. if it's a farming situation. Well, something so else like you can idea. do too is, uh, you know, if it's a little bit of a redneck way to do it, but it'd work, put your cell camera out there, put a rain gauge out in front of it, or you can, oh, yeah. you know, get yeah. a reading, play with a little, you have to play with it a little bit, but you know, make sure you can get a reading. And then I, I really, I always want people to give me, you know, truisms on here. And I always want people to give me these rules of thumb, but every time everybody's like, well, a little bit different. It depends, different. you know, it just right. depends. I like what, I like what Ian said about getting out there, you know, Dig down in your soil, see how much water you're holding. I mean, you've talked, you listen to Grant Woods talk about his food plots. His food plots are going to hold a lot more water than mine because he's been doing no-till for so long. So yep. everybody's property is different. Everybody's situation is going to be different. If y'all are interested in planting trees, chestnuthilloutdoors.com is a great place to go uh, if you've got any questions along those lines. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by Fatatas Defense. The Fatatas Defense PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision System. Simply the best in class night vision systems ever built. Contact fatatasdefense.com to learn more. Fatatas Defense masters of darkness and also alabama farmers co-op alabama farmers cooperative has been serving gardeners farmers and everyone in between for 85 years visit www.alafarm.com
www.thegreatdeals.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also, the Hunter's Bait Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.net. 